Hello, and welcome to the Television Spotlight on the Comic Book Page podcast. My name is John Mayer. In this episode, we'll be having a spoiler-filled discussion about a television show that we think you'll enjoy. In this episode, I'm joined by my sister, and we're going to have a spoiler-filled discussion on the first season of His Dark Materials. This is a eight-episode season, first of at least three, because the third's airing as we've been watching this, and it's on HBO Max. This is something that, until you mentioned it, I really was unaware that it was airing. It was not on my radar at all. I mean, honestly, it's thanks to our public library. I realized it was out because our public library did a selection of uh, books to screen. Mm. And I was flipping through what books are they saying, hey, check out the book from the library and then go see it on the screen because it's always interesting to me. And I came across these and I was like, wow, I didn't know. And I'll admit, the covers looked fantastic. And part of it was who was in the cast. It had James McAvoy. Yes. But it was also the... The dynamic space look to it of the aurora and the colors well, and there's some some alternate world type stuff going on here. But when you first mentioned it, I pulled it up on IMDb and they had a trailer for it, and it looked more like a almost historical fantasy sort of a thing than any sort of like a, a sci-fi sort of a thing. And I really didn't know what to expect going into it, so it's like, oh, we'll watch the first, see what we think, and it was good. And enough to, to pull us through the first season and such. Well, and it's interesting because I read the prequel short story before we started watching with kind of the same attitude. And things I got out of the prequel sh- short story, I haven't gotten out of the show. And I, I mean, well, I know that's part of the whole page to screen thing. Certain things are going to change. How they play, it's going to be different, etc. One of the decisions they made that I... I'm not going to say I disagree with, because I honestly don't have any suggestion for how they could do it better. But they opened with some text at the beginning explaining this isn't our world, it's another world, but the two will connect, that people are born in this other world with demons that are like connected to them by their soul, or their souls are in the form of the demons, something like that. Yeah. And having watched the season, I almost want to go back and reread. Yes, yes. Because for a lot of it, I'm like, okay, we're following these two kids. They've got this animal. One of them's got, you know, bird. The other one's got, I don't know, a rat or something, ferret. a ferret or whatever. And what I didn't realize at first is they could shape shift. Yeah, the opening sequence with the two kids where they're having a race. Yeah, and it's kind of every time they go through a doorway, the animals change shape. Yeah, and it was beautifully done, but it was hard to follow. So I spent a little bit of time. Certainly early on, and even some at the end, it's like, oh, what are the rules of this world? Yes. Well, at one point early in the season, I was asking you, okay, so if the demon gets injured, does the person get injured? If the demon dies, does the person die? How's this connection work? And we're like, well, I mean, there must be some resilience because she's throwing a pillow at her demon when it's in butterfly shape. Yes. And nearly knocking it out or worse without concern she's not worried about killing it and therefore herself and yet later we find out that nope 
you're you're that closely tied to your demon. Well, it's funny because in the scene where that happens, the person she's confronting or confronted by, I guess, is way far apart from her demon. Mm -hmm. It's like different rules apply for that lady than for our lead character, Lyra. And I never felt over the first season that got explained. They gave the impression, though, again, I feel like you do, they didn't explain it, that different animals could go different distances. For instance, the birds. And I'm not just talking the witch's bird, which was a whole different scenario. But when your animal was in bird shape, it could fly, you know, up to the rafters, no problem. Well, even Pam, Lyra's demon, in bird mode, seemed to be able to go further. Yeah. And there seemed to be differences between... Children versus adults. And then Mrs. Coulter just seemed to have her own set of rules. She had her own set of rules, and when they then established that witches can be very far from theirs, Mm -hmm. like, oh, she must be a witch, because that's all that seemed to fit in this world. Zero evidence to back that up, so I'm I'm thinking that's not a viable... I think it's a viable theory. I don't think it's a true theory, if you know what I mean. They've done nothing to disprove it. But then when they introduced the armored bears... That really threw me. I'm like, the only animals we're seeing are talking demons connected to particular people. We're seeing talking bears, but they don't seem to have humans. I kept trying to find his person. Yeah. And they had a fun play on that. Yes. Near the end of the season. But there was so much of this where not having any familiarity with the source material, I was enjoying what I was getting, but I was constantly baffled. Yeah. And just trying to piece together the rules of this world. And there were parts of the story that were exploring the rules of this world. Mm -hmm. Can you split a person from their demon and and how does that go? And we see that happen clearly once, behind closed doors a few other times. Mm -hmm. So we get some implications on that. But it was one of those things that ultimately what I think made this season successful for me comes down to a combination of factors. One, the lead actress they got for Lyra. Yes. Phenomenal job. She, how old were you saying? She was 13 when they filmed the first season, playing a 12-year-old. Yeah. So, makes sense. Her name is Daphne Keene. I just looked it up. She only has four credits in IMDb. She'll have more after this. I can't imagine her not. I know, right? She's got another in-production show that's got eight episodes. Both her parents are in the business, which has to in some way contribute to, I don't want to say familiarity with being on set, but you know what I mean? Parental guidance. She's She's got the upbringing and, and so forth. And the, the at ease. Yeah. And she just really sucked me in to a lot of the scenes that I think a lesser actress, it would have been hard to buy. I mean, like the first time she makes the compass, well, I'm calling it a compass because their word for it is too the hard to pronounce. Or whatever it was. The, yeah. I forget the, yeah. Yeah, very hard to say word. But the first time she makes it move and actually work, mm-hmm. she really sold that scene. That's a lot of it. She did a great job. She sold the material. And being an unknown, it's not like, oh, well, I recognize her from this and therefore I see the actor versus the role kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. But she threw herself into this, sold it so believably. And if that role had been done by somebody that didn't click with the audience, yeah, couldn't sell the material, or even if could sell it but didn't fit the part, or you know what I mean, if if that role was miscast, yeah, 
and there's a thousand and one ways that could have happened, the entire show would have shattered. She had this knack for, I don't want to say revelations, because that wasn't quite it, but when she got that last piece of information that put her on the trail to, oh, that's what I should do, and just get and go do it. Well, and a lot of that goes down to brilliant writing. Yes. And it was all written by the same guy. And there were a number of times where you could see, again, that last little piece of information coming, clicking, and this is where she's got to go, and she goes. There were other times, and I think this was the the better move uh, that sold the rest, where she realized she'd said more than she should have. So she's got to backpedal a little bit. Mm-hmm. She's got to, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Let me spin it this way. Mm-hmm. She's She's making mistakes. She's learning quickly from those mistakes. Yes. And and moving forward on that. And it was a very believable character. And having a character at that age where they want to have the adventures, they think anything is possible or whatever, allows a character to do more than an adult probably would. Agreed. Well, and setting her up as the orphan who always wanted to know about her parents, Mm -hmm. who ends up in a horrific custody battle. Yes. (laughs) And the things she discovers about her parents are just one letdown after another. Well, I think it was best summed up by Roger near the end of, your parents are such a letdown, that's why I never bothered with them. Yes. Because he was an orphan. And kind of, we can pretend you still are too, sort of a deal. Yes. There was, again, some great dialogue. Roger wanting to talk to her while she's in the bath. I mean, you've got, what, an 11-year-old and a 12-year-old. And it's the, I'll walk in backwards. He was the epitome of the the sidekick, the lackey. Now, I'm trying to think what's the right term for it. The, the best friend supporting the hero through thick and thin. Yeah. He goes through the ringer on all this stuff. He does. He's not in a fair number of episodes because of that. But there are things that I don't feel ever got answered for me. Not that they necessarily had to. But, for instance... Why was Roger taken? When Roger gets abducted early on, was it simply convenience and opportunity, or was it deliberate? It could have been either way, and I don't think that was too important. I was just glad at the end when it was looking like, maybe Roger's not who we think he is, that the way that played out yes. worked. Yes, yes. Because that- that, that's a dangerous moment, because yeah, if you take a character that we've been liking the whole time, and suddenly the big bad and you didn't play that right, or they're not, and you made it seem like they should have been. You know, there's so many paths to walk down. Some work, yeah, and some immediately adjacent to those fail miserably. No, there were some beautiful twists Yeah, in that final episode. I think the final episode was quite simply called Betrayal. And what got me was we had been told for, what, four or five episodes that Lyra was going to, I believe they said, betray herself. I think that may have even been as far back as the first episode. Yeah. It was early on, and I never really got a sense of betrayal in that episode. And it may be that I just missed something and somebody pointed out and I go, oh, yeah, of course. But see, now I'm thinking back through it, and I'm wondering if simply bringing Roger with her is what they feel is the betrayal, because she would have done anything to protect him. Unfortunate things happened. I don't think it was her fault, and I didn't take anything she did as a betrayal. But I can see where, to a child's mind, I'm wondering if that, or if the betrayal is for next season. There were certainly betrayals in that episode. Oh, yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> there were I, plenty. I think telegraphing it so clearly at the beginning, entitling this episode at the end, Betrayal. Yeah. Implied, oh, that's where it's going to happen. Yeah. And if that's not what they intended, then they, they mislabeled the episode. So it was a very engaging show. Most mm. episodes were close to an hour. One of the things they did, and I'm going to label it under effects, though that may not really be the right category, that I loved, I'd say, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it felt like 90% of the show was in that other world. And maybe at most 10%, most, was in our world. Maybe a little higher percentage, but thereabouts, 80-20 tops. But what I loved under the effects category was they used live cats in our world. And all the animals were CG in the other world, even the cats. And I mean, I know it sounds silly. I didn't even notice that. But you come to our world where there are no demons, no soul soul-tied animals, I guess. And suddenly, instead of having the CG animal that can talk, we, we've got just the perfectly normal cat. Yeah, yeah. And we did have some of the CG animals cross over to our world. Yes. The snake. The snake being the, the main one. Yeah. So, but I just liked that kind of attention to detail. How many times in our world did we see the snake? Definitely twice. I really couldn't tell you if we saw it the third time. I know the character on the screen said she saw said it. she saw it, but I didn't see the snake in that one, but I may just have missed it. And that's where I was at. Definitely, the character's an unreliable witness. Yeah. I just, I don't know how many times we saw a, a demon as such in kind of, quote unquote, our world. And there was a character they built up in our world that hits that kind of crossover moment at the tail end of the season, yeah. like the last thing we see. And- I kept, the, I mean, they, they introduced the character about halfway through the season with a, he's going to be a big deal. Yep. And I'm still waiting for him to be, not even a big deal, but even a little deal. I kept waiting for him to read his father's letters. Yes. No, we saw the snake in the coffee shop when he was talking to You're right, the local did. contact. You're right, we did. And we saw it sitting on the car seat. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we saw it a few times. There was a couple of things when the guy came back to his car in-, in the real world, our world, whatever you want to call it, where it implied time had elapsed, like time's traveling differently in the two worlds, but not so differently that this guy can't go back and forth and other people don't notice time elapsing. You know what I mean? See, and I was wondering about that. And part of that goes back to the short story I read, which implied time moved differently. Mm -hmm. I've read a number of these kinds of stories, some in the comics and stuff, where Somebody crosses over into the fantasy realm, has an adventure for a couple of weeks almost, or days, what have you, and then comes back and a few hours have elapsed at most. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, that is an interesting point in terms of I never stopped to think about how much time elapsed in the primary world over the course of these eight episodes. In that world over there? Yeah. I mean, it was quite the adventure. It was quite the adventure. We we started at the university in Oxford. We went down to London. Mm -hmm. The first few episodes are measured in terms of days. And then it starts getting to where they travel north. Yeah. And that's where I think you start getting weeks may have elapsed between scenes. And then they spend days trekking around up there and such. I mean, at the very least, a month of time passes. But I think an argument could be made that it could have been potentially multiple months. I don't think much more than that. 
they they played fast and loose, but not in a a way that bothered me. Yeah, it's like okay, it's a little later, not weeks later, not tons later, but they didn't just wake up the next morning and suddenly they're in the Arctic. No, but they did go from we're a ragtag group hauling all of our stuff on our backs and sleighs to look at this big camp we put together. That camp they put together, <laughs> I took it as that structure was already there and they just camped out in it. I started wondering if they were camping out in a uh, crashed blimp. Yeah. Airship or whatever. Airship, yeah. You know, with the airships and stuff, there are aspects of this that make that world feel World War II era-ish. Mm-hmm. And some of that is a little on the hairstyles and stuff like that. Yeah. And kind of the war-torn world feel for some of the characters and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And some with the fashion. Some of the fashion. And some of it, though, is feels a lot more high-tech in other places. A part of that is when we get to the labs and they're doing experimentation and stuff. It was an interesting mix of a little, like when they're doing the, taking the photos to get the yeah. The imaging and stuff. I mean, that frankly looked right out of a dentist's office, an x-ray machine or whatever. <laughs> yes. And then there's other stuff where it feels like, yep, this is World War II era radios and yeah, things of that sort. It was an interesting mix and it worked. Well, and uh, Lord Asriel, when he was taking some of the photos, it looked like he was pulling out the, the old glass negatives. Yes. The photography looked pre- World War II era, probably. Yeah. And it's funny because the astrolathe or whatever the hell it was, that had a very clockwork mechanism feel to mm-hmm. it. and just seems like something that would be a wonderful widget for somebody to sell as a, a prop at conventions or some such. Definitely. It was beautifully done. It really was, yeah. That was, that was awesome. I think it could have been a little better explained here and there. I spent at least two or three episodes of Girl, you grew up in a university with access to so many books, and not once have you asked, what do any of these symbols mean? Well, the, the, the statement they made a few times is there are particular books on this yes. that are very closely guarded, and this device, there's only a handful in existence in the world that are known. Yes, there are only like six of them. But she's trying to figure out how to use it. But she's the chosen one. Yes. So she just kind of knows. I guess. I would love to see somebody do this sort of a story, but the title I would give it is The Mischosen One. (laughs) It's what if, in this case, Roger had thought he was the chosen one. No, no, it's Lyra. Maybe she knows it, maybe she doesn't, but- That's fine. Because there's a lot of, only the chosen one can do this. Well, you think you are, you try it, you die, next, you know. Yeah. So there were a couple of things like that that were- archetypal. I'm going to go with that versus cliche because I yeah, think it's yeah. kinder. And I think more accurate here. None of it felt like, oh, come on, I've seen this before. But there are certain storytelling tropes of this sort of story. You know, the chosen one, the prophecy. Well, there was a mix of magic with religion. Magic, religion, and science. Yes. And having all three of those orbiting the same story. Well, definitely. But I was thinking they literally mixed the Christian religion with magic at the Magisterium, mm-hmm. which it's not often you see that. Yeah, yeah. And then they were bringing in the science to try and sever the connection yeah. with the demons. The scholastic amnesty mm-hmm. was an interesting one as a uh, a protection of free thought, free thinking. 
In but, certain circumstances. Yeah, exactly. In a controllable way. So <laughs> yes. it's free, but not too free. Yeah. And it did seem like at times that the university in question uh, didn't always do well as far as, you know, the Mysterium basically it's like, okay, we're coming in and you've gone too far. We're going to go toss some books and yeah stuff like that. Beware of those in power. You know, and it's funny because one of the things they, they did at the beginning, they just touched on, and I would have liked to have seen some kind of an explanation for was the Great Flood. Yes. Because when we first see the university, it is, I don't know, four feet underwater? Yeah. Yeah, they're I, still opening doors, letting people on the ground floor. Yeah, they're opening doors and letting three feet of water flow through the door of the first floor. Well, there was already three feet yeah. on the inside. How do you move the door at that point? I, I, I kind of figured, you know, one direction the door flows with the water, but the other direction you're fighting it. Even if it's neutral on those sides, you should be making waves with the door moving. The things um, I think about. But I mean, what caused the flooding? Where did the water go? Yeah. Because it's clearly 12 years later in the past. Mm -hmm. So what happened? Mm -hmm. And not that that's a big part of the story. It's not. Not that I need to get the answer to that. But if you're going to do a big spectacle like that, mm -hmm. and then you're going to have you know the chosen one in getting you know lectured on in class on something, you know, you could have lectured on that to satisfy my curiosity. You could have. So. We had the Egyptians, which were kind of the gypsies of this world. Yeah. I thought they were well used. Mm -hmm. They were the ones that gave me a little bit of a sense of kind of that World War II yeah. you know, displaced population. Group. Yeah. And there's probably plenty more backstory to be had on those. But where we leave off at the end of the first season, I don't know how much of that we're going to get. Because I'll be honest, the minute we saved the kids- and she's off to Lyra's off to her next adventure. I, I was thinking to myself, at this point, the gypsums leave the story. Yeah. And we see a bit more of them later, but almost in an epilogue part of way of their story, and then they're gone. Yeah. Which I was okay with because it felt natural at that yeah, point. It did. Yeah. Versus others where this is a big deal in some story until it's suddenly not, and then what happened to that? Mm hmm So they told a lot of story in this with a lot of characters, not all of it on Lyra, but a lot of it. The introduction of the guy in the real world that is going to be a big deal, presumably next season. I mean, I was expecting Lyra and him to, to really meet right at the tail end of the season, like the last yes. scene. And oh. I thought they were going to bump into each other. Yeah. It certainly felt that like they should have. They either are going to start next season bumping into each other or having walked right past each other. I and honestly, think so I, I think they're at different doorways. I think that's where I was going to go. I think he's crossing from the real world into this fantasy world that she's just left. Well, but my thing is, she's up in the north, and he's down in London in the park. Right. No, they're, well, not only are they in different gates, I think the gates go to different worlds. Because his is entering her world that she's just left right. to go chase after. But, oh, so you don't think she's going to our world? You think no. she's going to a third world? I think she's going to a third world. Oh. The guy who opened that gate, that's who she's following. That's who she's behind. Got she's it. She's chasing to kind of cut him off at the pass almost, with, potentially without him even knowing. Now, how that gets Will, Will. From, from our world through their world to meet up with them, I don't know. Yeah, that's interesting. But it's a, a dangerous figured, writing game to say he's going to be a big deal and he never meets any of the other main characters. Yeah. I figured Will was going to be upgraded to Roger's position now that Roger retired from it. I certainly was thinking that was a possibility. 
there's a lot of those two meet and they've got to understand the other's world yes. sort of a deal. But that came down to when they're at doorways and they don't bump into each other and also don't cross paths kind of a deal. Mm-hmm. How do we get to where they all kind of circle into the same thing? Yeah. You know, it's – and again, I've gotten zero background in the source material whatsoever and came at this cold. It kept me engaged for the story. Again, perplexed at times, but entertained. Yeah, I mean, all of the above, and has me wanting to read the book. Yeah. Now, the Hydra Balloon guy. Ah, yes, Lee. He has more to play in this story, but I don't know how he gets back into the story. Yeah, okay, and the other thing for me with that is I felt that was the one relationship with Lyra that they didn't deal with as smoothly as they could have. Yes, because there were a couple of times they've just met and suddenly they're best buds. Yeah. And there was some definite interplay with how they meet and the interaction and some of that. But there were other times where I thought the gypsums, particularly the one who was kind of being the father figure for her at that point, Mm -hmm. should have had a couple of lines that Lee got. Yeah. And it didn't ruin the story or anything, but it's a, this feels a little weird. Yeah. And I mean, they were clearly trying to set him up for later and trying to give her a substitute father figure. Yeah, but it gets to the point where they're traveling, she falls out, (laughs) and others go chase her down or whatever. And then he's off on his own with the witch saying, yeah, you've got to get back in the story, dude. Yeah. And that's the last we see of him. Yeah. So he's in one spot, Will's in another, Lyra's in another. There are opposing forces at play in various places. So everything's kind of almost scattered to the wind. We're at a very clear turning point, threshold moment, literally in some cases for characters. So it made a good point for a season break. Mm -hmm. But- I'm curious where they're going to pick up on the next season. Yeah. And that's only like seven episodes. Now, granted, the eight episodes here was about, I don't know, seven and a half hours or whatever. I don't know how long the second season episodes tend to be. I'm assuming about an hour or so, roughly seven-ish hours, so roughly equal length of story. I know they've got a third season that's that's currently airing. I don't know if it's going to get a fourth or not or what's going on with that. I hope they land the ending. Mm-hmm. I hope they can keep it engaging for two more seasons at least, since we know they've got that. I have faith they can, because I feel the writer who wrote all of this knew where he was going, maybe could have done a couple of scenes better here and there, but none of it made me think, wow, you set this up and did nothing with it, or this completely wasn't set up, it was out of nowhere. If the writing, because it's a British show, yeah, they tend to write the whole thing and then film it. The question is, did he have enough of a game plan for a second and third season to then write those afterwards and have them kind of play in as well, be set up as well? Mm-hmm. Or is it the start of a new arc in the journey and therefore that's not as important? You know, how does all that play out? But again, solid writing, solid actor. And this, uh, you noticed at one point in the end credits, Bad Wolf was in there. Yeah. And that's, I don't know the exact specifics around the company, but that's the one that Russell T. Davies used when he did Doctor Who before. So I'm pretty sure that's that's like his production company or he's part of it, whatever. And they did a brilliant job over in Doctor Who. I recognize one of the executive producer names, I think, from Doctor Who. And that may be the one who's, you know, part and parcel of this or whatever. So I've got a lot of faith in the the quality of writing, not only being on the show, but looking over the shoulder of the guy writing the show. Yeah. I think if if you're one of those people who's working in either directly with or in the vicinity of 
people like Russell T. Davies and other stuff that's aired on the BBC and stuff, there's a decently high bar on some of this. Yeah. So I think their writers are going to be taking a little more care and being able to, because they've got the advantage, write the season, then shoot the season, versus American shows, which are a little bit more get the script before you've got to shoot it, get the next script before you've got to shoot it. Mm-hmm. So you haven't even really, you've got a notion of what the season ending is going to be 20 episodes later, but it's not written. There's enough cooks in the kitchen. It's well, just completely different operating parameters. And I mean, the sad reality is new pages are arriving on set the day they're filming. Yes. With, and it may just be minor dialogue changes, but for some actors that can throw them. Well, and for some stories that can throw them. We've heard you know, tales of behind the scenes where certain shows, Babylon 5 being a great example of this, you read the dialogue as written. Mm, yeah. It has meaning. Yeah. You rephrase it, that changes meaning that, in, you know, impacts the, the story behind the scenes, the, the big picture, the meta arc or what have you. And I was seeing something recently that was saying that a lot of these made for TV movies where they're trying to film them faster. Yeah. And cut down on the amount of time between end of production and getting them on screen. Just in time movie making. Yeah. Scary idea. They've started putting teleprompters on the cameras to just avoid retakes and make sure the actors have the dialogue in front of them. Just as a reminder of if you forgot a word or two, yep. that, makes, that does make sense. I don't think you're going to have people reading it off cold. No, but just if that one or two words skips out of your brain. Glance at the camera and- There's a lot to be said, though, for writing it, shooting it, airing it as quickly as possible. I heard a story, read a story recently about Back to the Future and how it was kind of pushed to get released a little quicker than planned because The Power of Love, Huey Lewis's song, mm. top in the charts. It's like, yeah. the, the song's doing great. Get the movie out there. Yeah. You know? Was it Marlon Brando, who for one of the Godfather movies- they said had note cards all over one of the desks with lines of his dialogue. I can't imagine memorizing dialogue for in, in doing, you know, acting and stuff like that in terms of, I just don't have the memory for it. And what impressed me with the show is at times there was a decent amount of dialogue. At other times there were people standing around looking dramatic. <laughs> yes. I don't know. Maybe it's a British thing. <laughs> but there never seemed to be one guy other than maybe the first episode with McAvoy giving a lot of exposition, there rarely seem to be people just spouting pages and pages of dialogue. Yeah. You know, ad nauseum. There was some good back and forth. There were some good cuts. It seemed like something where you just needed to, to get into the moment, have those couple of paragraphs down, nail it, move on. Yeah. And again, some of the stuff between the way they CG'd in the demons, I don't, I don't know if they had somebody reading the the voice of the stuff on set, they almost have to, but it all flowed generally so well. There were a couple of times, there was one where you commented, yep, sight line's a little too high for where that bear is, or mm -hmm. a couple of times where it's like, yeah, the compositing's a little obvious, but nothing that took me out of the story. No. And honestly, when the sight line was off, it caught me because it, yeah. it was so rare for it to be off. And there's so many opportunities for it in this show. Yes. Again, I think they did a fun job. It was interesting going in and exploring this world, or technically worlds, plural. I'm curious about the source material. I mm -hmm. definitely want to go for uh, the second and third season. Mm -hmm. I think by about the time we'd get through the second season, the third may have finished airing, maybe. Nice. 
So we may be able to go there. Does have me concerned because there's there's a lot of times where I'll marathon a show, catch up, and then by the time the next season airs yeah. or whatever, it feels oh man, it jumped the shark. What are the odds of every show I marathon when I catch up? It it's always at the point at jumping the shark. What's up with that? And part of it is the different experience of marathoning it versus the gap between and and installments on a weekly basis. Do you know how different our universe would be if Happy Days had never done that episode? We'd at least be without the term Jump the Shark, but there would have been some other show. Actually, <laughs> I pose this question to you and the listeners. What is the equivalent term of Jumping the Shark taking Happy Days out of the equation? You can't use that example, that phrase. What other show had that same moment? And the, the best I can come up with off the top of my head is the shower scene from Dallas. Oh. Yeah. And, and how funny would it be? Oh, yeah. Every show I get to the coming out of the shower spot, you know, kind of a thing. That, that jumping the shark sounds better. That's funny because I didn't want to new heart sitcoms do that. No, they had a scene at the tail end of, of New Heart that was just brilliant. But I'm a big fan of, of Bob Newhart's comedy. So not that I've actually seen that show. I, I'm not even sure I've seen his original. Anyways, we digress. <laughs> that happens. It does. But I'm hoping if this does get a fourth season and we marathon through the three, that the fourth is able to hold up to that. Because mm. I do think sometimes that gap between binging or installments or whatever, there's so much going on either in the world, my life, or just my short attention span, whatever. Story momentum, in a lot of cases, isn't what it used to be for me. Yeah. Well, I really I, enjoyed this. I do want to comment. I enjoyed the opening credits. It had some really nice visuals in it. Nice visuals. I could see where a lot of them tied into the story. There's still a few that I'm not sure exactly where. I'm curious if they update those. And I respect a show that's willing to take the time to go through the credits. Because, I mean, just the executive producer list, there's a, geez, it felt like a dozen people or whatever. Not short opening credits in terms of the number of credits they've got to do, the amount of time it takes, but it was entertaining to watch every time. I never really felt the point of, oh, I got to fast forward through this. Mm -hmm. Even Good Omens had a good opening credits, but it's, yeah, yeah, I've seen it. Let's move on. Yeah. And there are a couple others where you flash a title screen up and you're done. There's a couple where you should have flashed a title screen <laughs> up and been done, and or I'm thinking of you. <laughs> this one, I think, again, it, it kind of reminded me of uh, Foundation. Yeah. That was another one where it's a, I don't want to say a slow and methodical, it was a relaxing entryway into the narrative world. Yeah. And sedate, or, or not sedate, subtle theme music. And it just, it, it was actually not brilliant. Oh my God, it's amazing opening credits, but it was very effective and enjoyable opening credits. This set the tone for the episodes and mm -hmm. the shows, and especially the visual where they layered. Oh, yeah. The different worlds. Which the way they visualize a multiverse. It was beautiful. And that's part of why I am hoping we bounce to multiple worlds next season. Because really, we saw two here. There's a promise of a third mm -hmm. that maybe we get to at the beginning of next season. But I don't know. And I'm curious. Okay. So the only question I'll leave you with is if Will came from our world to Lyra's world, where we spent so much time, does he on arrival, basically end up having to get a demon somehow so people aren't looking at him odd of, where's your demon? I'm wondering if he, there was the cat we saw before he walked through. I don't think he picked it up. I don't think he took it. Uh-uh. But if it wound up following him. Interesting. And can he have a pet 
and make it appear to be a demon? Does he magically get one going over there? Yeah. Again, there's a lot of these rules of what does somebody from our world entering theirs, how does that play out? And is it obvious that somebody doesn't have a demon, given how subtle some people's are? Yeah. And yeah. And if how long does it take him to understand what a demon is and why not having one is problematic? Yes. Yeah. I'm really curious where this picks up on a second season. Anything else? I think that does it. Cool. The show notes and form for this podcast can be found at www.comicbookpage.com under the podcast and forum sections of the website. Please email us at theguys at comicbookpage.com and let us know what you think of what was discussed in this episode. Thanks for listening.